Hello all, and welcome to Current Account with Clay Lowry, the Executive Vice President here at the Institute of International Finance. The purpose of this podcast is to bring to your attention current issues in international finance and economics, as well as provide a U.S. policy and politics angle on these different issues. Clay, over to you. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Current Account. I'm your host, Clay Lowry. Today, we're going to look at uh, the pivotal presidential election that just took place in Brazil. Former President Luiz Inácio Lula da Silva, and I'm going to just call him Lula for short, walked away with a very narrow victory, 1.8 percentage points, over incumbent Jair Bolsonaro. This was the second round of the election. In the first round, which took place on October 2nd, neither candidate achieved the 50% threshold required to win. This election is also notable. It is the first time in Brazil that an incumbent actually failed to win a second term since Brazil introduced presidential elections. So today I'm going to be speaking with our head of Latin America research here at the Institute of International Finance, and that's Martin Cassiano, to make sense of what the economic and policy implications of this result are. Before we talk to Martin, though, I'd like to just give a little bit of context about the two drastically different and the divisive candidates in Brazil who faced off on October 30th. First, let's start with the winner, which is President Lula. And I say President Lula because he is a former president. He was an incredibly popular president during his two terms from 2003 to 2010, where he had social programs to support low-income Brazilians, which was a defining feature of his presidency. He has an inspiring backstory. He grew up very, very poor. I think he was a shoeshine uh, boy for a long time. And he became active in unions and eventually co-founded the left-wing Workers' Party. However, his reputation took a hit after he left being president due to corruption scandals that were actually implicated him and his successors. And in fact, he has actually served some time in jail after he left being president, although his convictions were annulled by the Supreme Court a couple of years ago. On the other side, facing against President Lula was also president, which is far-right candidate Bolsonaro. Elected in 2018, Bolsonaro is also a polarizing figure, and he embraced a nickname, Trump of the Tropics, campaigning on family values and his economic record, which largely was considered to be pretty good. But he has been mired in all sorts of controversy, including the way he dealt with the COVID-19 pandemic and for his criticism against him for at least the perception that he has deforested the Amazon rainforest. So the election was very close and Lula won. But I'm now going to bring Martine in to help us paint a better picture of what actually all this means, particularly from an economic perspective. So, Martine, welcome to The Current Account with Clay Lowry. Hello, Clay. Thank you very much for the invite. Uh, Glad to be here with you today. Well, all right. So before we kind of go a little further into the elections aspects, um, maybe you can kind of give us a little bit of context to what the main economic trends have been in Brazil in the weeks leading up to the election. What have the markets been like and what could be the major economic issues that faces a President Lula? 
Sure. So the Brazilian economy and markets have been quite robust uh, coming into the election. Economic activity has uh, kept surprising markets on the upside, extending the post-pandemic recovery. Domestic demand fundamentals have reflected sustained increases in household spending and also in, in private investment. GDP is on its way to grow almost 3% this year. That's a higher growth rate than many developed and, and other EM countries will, will achieve. And let's keep in mind that at the beginning of the year, the market was expecting a stagnant economy with even many analysts projecting a recession in Brazil. But uh, high commodity prices as a result of the war in Ukraine and also the extended fiscal stimulus have helped uh, change that. Commodity prices boosted the trade surplus, providing a sort of a hard currency windfall to the country. The government also upgraded the cash transfer program, Auxili Brazil, ahead of the election. Inflation dynamics have also improved a bit uh, thanks to energy tax uh, cuts. That helped uh, regain some purchasing power. Even the fiscal position improved uh, despite the increasing spending because um, uh, the government has received uh, stronger revenues coming mostly from uh, growth, but also from the extra royalty income and also high inflation as well. Inflation made debt-to-GDP ratio look, look better this year. The exchange rate has also been resilient. Uh, it weakened a bit the days ahead of the second round runoff election, although nothing compared to what we have seen in previous election uh, years in, in Brazil. Uh, so I would say overall relatively good economic conditions ahead of the elections. However, activity has already started to decelerate because we have higher interest rates, both in Brazil. Past monetary policy tightening has been quite remarkable. Brazil started very early in March 2022 hiking rates. Also, global financial conditions have become uh, tighter. Uh, with also high, higher rates globally. And then we have still very high, high inflation. So there are many challenges uh, on the economic front for the next administration. Well, thank you, Martin. So let's, let's talk a little bit about Lula himself. So he was president before. I recall when I was in government that when President Lula was coming in back in the early 2000s, there was a lot of concern that he would be a, a far leftist president that would take actions that could sink the Brazilian economy or at least their financial sector. And that didn't actually happen at all. So, uh, but instead of me talking about it, maybe you can give us a little bit of background about how Lula did as president from an economic perspective. What were some of the main economic issues that defined his presidency? And maybe that will give us a picture on how you see it going forward as he steps into the presidency once again. Yes, I, th I think you, you were right. I mean, it, it, it was very interesting because coming with a union uh, leader background, uh, controversial campaign proposals, and also he was very critical of the Cardoso administration. So people were very concerned about the government and his administration before he took office in, in 2003. And then he pursued surprisingly orthodox and pragmatic policies from the very beginning. He, he positively surprised the markets, pointing very conservative figures in his cabinet. He, he appointed uh, also a former banker as uh, central bank governor. He decided to continue with the IMF program uh, Brazil had in place. 
and also let's not forget that these were very hard times for Latin America. Brazil uh, was still dealing uh, with uh, devaluation in 1999. Argentina had a brief crisis in 2002. So the Central Bank of Brazil started hiking rates in October 2002 and then extended the tightening cycle through January with rates above 25% to contain inflation and effects depreciation. The hikes have been seen at the beginning of, of Lula's tenure, and those hikes were much more steeper than what we have seen in subsequent tightening cycles, including the last one that I mentioned before. I would say the markets used to love Lula, and, and also the people like him a lot too. I mean, growth average more than 4% during his tenure. Activity even barely declined during the global financial crisis. Inflation dropped from double-digit levels to about 5%. I mean, it's true that, that his administration benefited from high commodity prices and, and, and some other global tailwinds that allowed him to develop social programs and yet sustain, a, a, I would say, fairly large primary fiscal surplus. He also advocated for integration across Latin American countries. Uh, however, I think both markets and, and the public also remember the not-so-good years of the PT in power after his presidency. Uh, back then, Lula also played a role, and, and the economy did very poor, poorly, I mean, falling into a long uh, and very painful recession. So overall, I would say that Lula has been pragmatic, uh, also a charismatic figure, and he has also been very skillful in managing the, the PT and keeping the different factions of the political party happy. The election was very tight, and I know that it's still somewhat, you know, you and I talked before, somewhat still a fluid situation between uh, Lula and Bolsonaro. Bolsonaro has not challenged the election results, but he is not necessarily uh, conceded as well, unless you tell me differently. So how can Lula bring the whole country together, given this divisiveness, and maybe some of that can be done through his economic policies. And will they be as sound as they seem to be during his first two terms of office back in the uh, uh, 2000s? Yeah. So, yeah, let's let's talk a bit about the, the challenges and, and, and some of the political challenges that, that you mentioned. First, I mean, uh, as you said, uh, he will have to complete what it looks like a very difficult transition. I mean, uh, the, the, there have been uh, massive and, and widespread uh, protests all, all over the country against the election outcome. Uh, that included uh, highway blockages. Um, uh, we have seen the, those right after the, the election. And that, I think, uh, have already started to constrain his administration even before taking office. Then we have in Congress a very strong presence of center-right factions uh, and also strong presence of these uh, factions at the state and local level. So the ability of the next administration to deliver policy changes could be could be limited. And there is a third factor, which is that at the same time, he will need to keep this broad coalition that uh, brought him to power, uh, unified and stable. And this coalition includes multiple parties with different and many times divergent views. Uh, and, and we have seen in Latin America in, in recent years that coalitions have been great to get politicians to power, uh, but then they have 
a hard time implementing policies uh, and 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 uh, when they are when they are in power. So so there are many examples in in Latin America. Argentina is one of them. So so that's not an easy task. And then, as you also mentioned, there are many challenges on the economic front. I mean, deceleration is coming that I mentioned. Then we have inflation. I mean, when you look at the headline number. Uh, you've seen a decline, but then when you look at the core components, the, you look at not regulated prices, uh, you can see that the battle is still there. So high rates are likely to, to stay um, high for long. So avoiding the sharp slowdown in activity, probably doing so in a context of lower commodity prices and more restrictive global financing conditions, uh, and also a fragile fiscal position is not going to be easy. So what will Lula do? Then I think that's still an open question because his team has been very vague in terms of campaign proposals. Last week, they released a document with some proposals, but, but it was still very ambiguous. And I think there are good reasons for that. I mean, he was leading the polls from the very beginning, and so little incentive to disclose. Also, the fact that he has this broad coalition and, and the risk of disappointing uh, some of the factions is, is high. And then um, conditions are very fluid, as you said, Clay, and, and there is a value of, of keeping the, the options open. Uh, we had the chance to travel to Brazil in June, and we met with some of his political and economic advisors back then uh, to get a little bit more flavor on upcoming policies. We think if, if he wins... He would try to pursue moderate changes to the overall macroeconomic policy framework in Brazil. Uh, he would act pragmatically to avoid market instability. For instance, he will maintain central bank autonomy. This is something that, uh, that he pursued back in, in 2003. Um, the fiscal scheme probably will be adjusted. I mean, there are discussions now on the budget. There are going to be amendments, probably a spending uh, cap uh, waiver. Uh, because some of the stimulus measures that Bolsonaro implemented will, will likely be extended. Uh, but then the fiscal position is quite fragile, so there is a need to maintain investor support, investor confidence, uh, so that will provide uh, some sort of uh, balance. And then the scope to pursue quasi-fiscal spending, like we have seen during the Dilma Rousseff years through the state-owned firms, is much more limited than in the past. Uh, People mentioned that he would like to appoint a politician as finance minister. However, the election results might force him to pick a more market-friendly uh, figure instead. So I think that that's, that, that would be kind of the, the, the framework for, for his policies um, uh, in, the, in the next, at least in, at the beginning. Okay. Let me just ask one more question, which is there's been a sweep of leftist or left of center candidates in Latin America over the past year or so. And sometimes, um, and I've argued this in the past, it's, it, it may be less about ideology and more about anti-incumbency. Whatever the case may be, do you, how do you see Lula? Brazil is obviously the biggest economy in the region. How do you see him adjusting and dealing with his neighbors within the region, as well as the United States? Obviously, he has his ideological predilections, but he's also, as you've noted, a, a pragmatist. So how do you how do you see relations developing? Yeah, that, that's a very interesting question, Clay, because, um, yeah, as you said, now most countries in Latin America are... Uh, 
center-left uh, leaning administrations. Um, probably Ecuador, Paraguay, and Uruguay are a few exceptions in South America. I think several of these leaders in Latin America will try to use the Brazil election outcome as a way to reinvigorate some of their administrations. However, I think the scope for Lula administration to provide support uh, more general, more globally in the in the region or at the regional level, even if it's just political support, I think it will be uh, narrow this time. There are no resources for some sort of uh, uh, populist measures. Uh, there are also enough challenges on the domestic front for Brazil to worry about. We have seen uh, in by many of these administrations very controversial policy proposals, but then maintaining macroeconomic stability uh, uh, has been a priority in most places. And um, as you said, it, it has been very hard for incumbents also uh, or at least government-supported candidates to win elections lately. So we also could start to see this shifting the other way quite quickly. In, in fact, uh, what we have seen as well in Latin America is that societies have become highly polarized. Uh, so center-right options, uh, uh, I mean, they, they lost elections in several countries, but it, it was uh, by a very quite narrow margin. So so they remain very popular. And it's also the case in, in Brazil. Um, uh, what I see as a, as a risk uh, at the regional level is that there is little pro-market reform appetite. And this, what does it mean? It, it will mean low growth. Uh, and then if we have a couple of years of weak economies down the road, it, it could result in more populist policies and, and some of these conditions could deteriorate even further. Thanks. And let me just add, I think when we think about it, the United States, so when Lula was president before, he dealt with two different presidents, George Bush and uh, Barack Obama. And my read on it was that he did a very good job with both. And obviously very different presidents, different political stripes. And President Lula did a pretty good job with both. I think that the United States under uh, President Biden has had a not such a great relationship with President Bolsonaro. So in some respects, President Lula might be a way forward in the U.S.-Brazilian relationship that has not been the case over the last uh, couple of years. Um, I don't know if you agree with that, Martine, or not. That was just the, my my impression. Yeah, no, you, you're the expert uh... Uh, on, on U.S.-Brazilian relations. And, and I think, uh, yeah, you're right. I mean, he has been pragmatic and, and he's pragmatic enough uh, to adjust uh, also in case things change in, in, in the U.S. as well. I think he will be very focused on, on re revitalizing Mercosur. But, uh, but yeah, I don't think there are many reasons to be concerned uh, about the, the relationship with, with the U.S. as, as you mentioned. Well, thank you, Martin. Let me uh, now uh, switch into the three, two, one, which are my three takeaways from the conversation. Two things I'm looking out for and my one sports fact. Here are my three takeaways from my conversation with Martin. First, despite Lula's victory, we can't forget that this was a, an extremely tight race. Polarization, which defined the presidential campaign, is not going to go away overnight. And it will, uh, President Lula will have to work very hard to overcome what will, as Martin described it, a very gridlocked Congress that still has many Bolsonaro supporters in it if he wants to make some reforms. 
Next, it seems the Lula administration will act pragmatically. That's his track record uh, when he's been in office. And he would build upon some of the features of Brazil's macroeconomic policy framework that have so far have worked out pretty well, as Martin described. And third, Brazil is now one of many governments in Latin America that are left of center. So far, most of these governments have prioritized maintaining macroeconomic stability. And that has been much more important to them than their ideological thoughts. Now, the two things that I'm watching out for are, one, now that Lula has won, we need to watch out for how he chooses his economic team, and especially his new finance minister. This will probably give us a better idea of his economic strategy moving forward and how well he'll be able to work with the opposition. Second, and this is unrelated to today's episode, but I think it's important, is next week the U.S. will have its midterm elections on November 8th. There are many tight Senate races to watch out for, including the states of Georgia, Arizona, Nevada, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, and maybe even New Hampshire. And there are also several tight House races with Republicans expected to take control away from the Democrats. I hope to discuss this more in our next uh, current account. And finally, here's my one sports fact. I'm recording this episode from Korea. And as part of my largely trying to stay awake and beat the jet lag, I have been taking walks. And one of the walks I took, um, I ran across the women's volleyball, uh, professional women's volleyball, which happened to be near my hotel. It led me to believe that I have not done a sports fact on women's volleyball, so I kind of started looking into it. And the World Cup, which is held every four years of women's volleyball, was just held in October. And the winner was Serbia. And in, in fact, maybe ironically, they beat Brazil in the finals. Serbia became the uh, sixth team that has ever won back-to-back a World Cup championship in, in women's volleyball. And they are the bronze medal winner from the uh, Olympics in 2020. And they are now the best volleyball team in the world. While I was doing it, a, a different idea popped into my head, which is that there is some recognition that maybe the greatest women's volleyball player of all time happens to come from Korea. Her name is Young Hung Kim, and I probably just butchered her name. She has led uh, Korea to a fourth-place finish in the Olympics twice, once in 2012 and next in 2020. That's the year that Serbia won the bronze medal. Um, she is only one of four players ever who had 30 or more points by herself in a single Olympic game. And it led me to re remember, like, sometimes the greatest players in the world don't actually win the championship or even win the medal in her case. Um, and I realize we'll be soon coming to the World Cup and there will be a lot of attention on Lionel Messi, who has led Argentina to a second place finish in the World Cup, but he has never actually won the whole World Cup. So it's one of those dilemmas you find in sports. Sometimes you may be the greatest player in the world, but you can't actually lead your team all the way to a championship. Anyway, thanks again for joining us. Greetings from Korea, and I hope you'll join us next week on Current Account with Play Lousy.
Thank you for joining us for today's episode of Current Account with Clay Lowry. We'd love to hear from you, so please feel free to provide us any feedback or ideas about the show as we're always looking to improve and make these episodes fun and relevant for the audience. You can provide feedback at podcast at IIF.com. Make sure to tune in Monday for our next episode. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Spotify. Thanks for listening.